Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. This podcast is presented by the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation and hosted by our CEO, Jamie Irvin. At the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation, we work with manufacturers, distributors, and repair shops who want to grow their business. Do you have a problem that you would like some help with? We have developed fault codes for heavy duty parts businesses, just like they have for commercial trucks. Find out how many fault codes your business has and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the show where you get expert advice about heavy-duty parts that keeps trucks and trailers on the road longer while lowering costs per month. If you manufacture and sell heavy-duty parts, you know that it's been difficult to get the right parts on the shelf at the right time. There has been a lot of issues with our supply chain and serving commercial fleets and getting them the parts they need to keep their trucks on the road has been an uphill battle. The supply chain issues are real, and they're having a big impact on the trucking industry, which of course is part of the supply chain. So It's almost like a double-edged sword. My guest today is Jason Miller, the Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management at Michigan State University, and I am very excited to talk to him about what is really driving the supply chain issues and what we might expect in the future. Jason, welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on. So let's get into it. Um, Recently, you published some very interesting LinkedIn posts about all of these issues. You know, I wanted you to come on the show to help us to gain just a better understanding of what is causing the issues and where it might be taking us in the future. So you mentioned in one of those posts that retail sales have been abnormally strong since June of 2020. What's driving that? Yeah, so really in retail sales specifically here being retail, essentially excluding motor vehicle and parts dealers. And just the reason for that is that's sort of its own piece of the puzzle. And if you think about imports, we're not really importing that much for the motor vehicle and parts sector. So just thinking about sort of everything else retail other than motor vehicle and parts, it's really just been a story of people trapped in their homes. So you can't spend on services. You combine that with a lot of stimulus money through the first CARES Act, expanded unemployment, and then the two rounds of stimulus checks that hit in um, 2021, deferred student loans, the child tax credit moving moving up earlier, and you just have a recipe for very, very, very strong demand for goods. Now, we've seen with sort of the most recent data that it seems that Retail sales, once we adjust for inflation, are finally starting to get back towards the pre-COVID trend. But even for the December data, we're still about 6% above where we would have expected to be sans COVID. So here in Canada, we had a CERB payment very similar to your stimulus package um, that that created the same result here, here in Canada. So you made the differentiation between retail and like what we're in our industry where we think of heavy-duty parts for for vehicles, a lot of our parts do come from overseas. But when you just look at retail, what you've been talking about, I I do understand that that's one of the economic indicators that economists look to to see whether or not the economy is going to perform well. If retail is up, then usually that means the economy is performing very well. But all of this extra spending and having people all locked down with the pandemic 
how did that impact the supply chain? Like, just go into a little more detail there. Yeah, so so the biggest challenge, at least we had in the U.S., was the fact of many of the items that people were buying, you know, furniture as an example. So much of that is imported. And so it essentially caused a surge of demand for imports that started flooding the U.S. And the reality is, is that the import supply chain isn't built to be able to withstand a prolonged 15 or 20 percent year over year increase in imports, which is what we started to see come the back half of 2020 all through 2021. And it just starts snarling things up. And so on the import side, the excessive demand started then leading you know, to the snarls, which start contributing to more disruptions. And then you start getting the snowball effect. Part of that snowball effect is on the heavy duty parts side for commercial vehicles, you know, separate from retail. We've had such a hard time getting parts that I have heard stories of trucks being down for weeks because of a sensor that, that people just can't get. Well, that truck then is not transporting goods to help with the supply chain. So when you talk about the snowball effect, I, I get that. In some of these LinkedIn posts that you were um, talking about these, these issues, you talked about the long-term trend line. So what is that? And are we going to get back to that in 2022? Yeah. So in terms of the long-term trend line, I always like to think really 2017 through 2019 were fairly normal you know, years for the US economy. So when you look at things like retail sales, they perfectly follow just a linear upward trend a little bit because we have a growing population. So we're going to expect retail sales to increase. It, it would seem that we have to get back towards that trend for the simple reason that now in the inflationary environment we're in, is people's actual buying power, so we call real personal income, is actually dipping down below where that trend line was. And we've got very good evidence that as real personal income went up, people started buying more products from retailers. And so as we start seeing that go down, there's almost no doubt that we should see retail sales start to wane. And like I said, probably I think by the middle of 2022, we'll be sort of back towards that trend where we would have expected to be. Right. And and the adjustment in interest rates, if interest rates go up, part of the reason that we would do that is to try to cool inflation because even just making money a little more expensive, it does cause people to spend a little less. Is that correct? Yeah, I I really, this is going to be one of those instances where I think people are going to be surprised that we're not going to see inflation slow nearly as much as as folks think. And that's because of a dynamic that hasn't been talked about much and that some prices are very what we call flexible. They change very quickly. The classic example being gasoline prices, right? West Texas Intermediary goes up, you know, this month, guess what's going to be up next month? Gas prices. A lot of other prices, though, are what we call sort of sticky. And rent is a classic example. And when you look at what has driven inflation in the U.S. in 2021, it's been the flexible prices. It's been your foods and everything energy related. But now what we're going to start seeing is those stickier prices that have been slower to adjust. There's good evidence we're going to start seeing that move up. So I'm expecting rental prices to increase very strongly in 2022. And that makes up a third of the consumer price index. And so I'm expecting that what we're essentially going to see is still high inflationary numbers, but it's going to be from a different source of inflation. And for those of us who own houses and are maybe locked into fixed, you know, fixed rate mortgages, it's not going to hurt us as much. But for the individuals who are running, 
it's going to be a much more painful experience because you're going to be tacking that additional cost on top of higher fuel prices, higher food prices. Let me ask you something then. If if you were like on the cusp of being able to buy real estate right now and get locked into like a five-year fixed, is that a good move? I mean, not being a real estate expert, take whatever I'm about to say with a grain of salt, but I would I would certainly say it would not hurt to be locked in. I mean, the, the best time to do it was obviously last year, if you could get locked in at that point in time. But I mean, in the US right now, we're starting to see mortgage rates tick up and that that does not bode well for the housing market. And even though there's been a lot of discussion about, oh, there's a housing boom going on, when you look at the data on new housing starts, we're, we're not in a housing boom. This is nothing like the early and mid part of the 2000s, where we really did have a housing boom. Right. Okay. So we're recording this February 2nd. Right now, the variants have not been as severe. It looks like this Omicron variant, uh, the, the BA1 and BA2, could possibly push us into an endemic stage. We're not quite there yet, but uh, let's just assume, I mean, at some point it has to go that way. When it does, what is the expectation on the supply chain? So I think once we get to endemic um, COVID, so and especially not only in the U.S., but also China, Right, right now, East Asia is sort of the wild card that we don't know how far along um, they are with this situation. Once, though, we do get to endemic COVID, I, I definitely see things starting to straighten out. I mean, it's going to I still keep thinking by the end of the third quarter of this year, it should really start to be straightening out fairly well. You know, we're starting to see hopefully, you know, some things will will smooth out. Imports will be down. That'll allow that supply chain to get unsnarled. Semiconductor production um, and imports will be up. That'll allow the automakers to produce more and essentially cool the incredibly heated prices for used vehicles right now that exist. And so my, my sense is, is that the economy by the end of 22 looks a lot more like the economy in 2018, um, early part of 2019, than the economy of 2021, which is really sort of a consumer-fueled retail um, space. But still, you know, manufacturing activity was below, certainly well below 2018 levels. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Having issues with your commercial equipment? You need ATA's Technology and Maintenance Council, also known as TMC. TMC develops recommended practices addressing the most pressing technology and maintenance issues affecting commercial vehicle fleets. You can join TMC for just pennies a day, and when you do, you'll get access to thousands of pages of technical information, and you can attend events like the upcoming 2022 Annual Meeting and Exhibition, March 7th through 10th in Orlando, Florida. For more information, check out TMC at tmctrucking.org. Don't have a heavy-duty part number and need to look up a part? Go to parts.diesellaptops.com or download the app on Apple or Android to create your free account. Looking for high-quality fuel injection for heavy-duty applications? Having one supplier for fuel injection allows you to better serve customers by providing them with a complete line which increases your sales and profitability. Learn more at ambacinternational.com slash aftermarket. We're back from our break. And before the break, we were talking about the realities of, of where we are right now with our economy, with our supply chain, what the real drivers beh behind the supply chain issues are. 
Uh, Jason, when can we realistically see a return to normal? And will that normal look like something from, from the past that we will actually recognize? Or is these inflationary prices and, and where we are today just, just the new reality? Kind of decode that for us a little bit, please. And I am going to hold you to your crystal ball. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I think for 2022, there will still be inflationary pressures. Um, again, you know, we're, we're seeing it right now in the commodity space. Um, you know, the oil, the uncertainty about the Ukraine-Russia situation has cascaded over into multiple of the agricultural markets. Wheat prices had been up. They seem to be coming down a little bit. But soybean prices are darn near at five-year highs right now, or I shouldn't even say five-year highs, darn near back to highs from the 2012 period, um, sort of the food crisis. And so we've got inflationary forces still at work on the agricultural commodity side. Obviously, oil is getting to levels we haven't been at in 2014. We've got concerns for global aluminum output because very high electricity prices in some countries are causing aluminum plants, especially the less efficient ones, to just shutter right now because they can't produce their profit. I still expect there to be some inflationary forces throughout the year. I think for the you know the U.S., it will be a situation where it, it's not going to look exactly like it did pre-COVID. It's the same way the U.S. economy even in 2018, which was sort of the peak of manufacturing activity on the other side of the Great Recession, we still were 10% below manufacturing output from where we were before the Great Recession. We never have come back from that. I don't, for example, I'm not sure how long it will take leisure and hospitality to come back from COVID, but it could be an extended period. So I think we'll look, I don't think the shock of COVID in the big scheme of things is actually will be as pronounced as the Great Recession, which really sort of upended certain industries, um, furniture, wood products, et cetera. But I, I, it won't be completely the same. That is for sure. If you're a manufacturer of heavy duty parts for the trucking industry or you're a retailer, especially if you're a retailer and a, and a wholesale distributor, Right now, if you've got it in stock, you can sell it. And I, I've talked to many manufacturers and, and distributors, and even though they've had difficulties getting parts, the parts they do have, they've sold out and, and have had record sales. If you're procuring parts and you're thinking about inventories, is now a good time to load up on inventory? Should they be cutting back? Like What, what should they be doing? So the number one thing I'd say about setting inventory levels is it should be a function of your demand. You know, if your demand's going up, ideally you want to add more inventory to maintain a fairly constant inventories, you know, to sale or main, maintain a target inventories to sale. I would say the, the good news is it seems like steel prices are starting to moderate um, finally. And so that obviously will then cascade over into the parts market. And hopefully we'll see the inflationary forces starting to decrease a little bit there. I should say even the rate of price increases for those um, parts should not be going up quite as much as it's been. I would say on the stocking upside, um, it, it, the big question I have is going to be, we have record backlogs, right, of, of trucks because of the slowdown of production. What is going to happen once those vehicles do start being produced and they start, start to be delivered? Because the one issue I've always seen in the trucking sector is the supply always overshoots what we need to be, but it's like a year late, right? So 2019 was such a soft year for 
truckload freight because carriers added way too much employment in the latter half of 2018 and through half of 2019 relative to where demand was. And it doesn't take much. All you have to have is a percentage point or two misalignment and the market will completely change. And that's what we saw in, in 19. And so I think that the the wild card right right now to me is what happens when all of these newer vehicles get delivered? Does that start taking some of the older equipment out of operation? And obviously, older equipment needs a lot more maintenance and repair. So right now, the lack of new vehicles is a bonanza for the sellers of spare parts because older machines need a lot more um, you know, tender love and care. But once we start seeing those new deliveries, I could actually see in some ways that demand actually dropping a little bit as we start to essentially phase out some of the older equipment. The other thing to keep in mind is, for me, one of the concerns is so many independent owner operators have essentially purchased used vehicles at prices that are you know double where they were in 2019, right? These firms' cost structures only can exist when you have $2 and 60 cent spot line haul rates, right? That starts going back down to $2 a mile. I don't see how you make a profit. And so that's sort of the other question I keep having of, are we going to see once the market normalizes these carriers that came into existence with unsustainably high cost structures start to go out of business and that equipment start to either get sold off or the drivers decide I'm no longer independent. I'm going to go lease myself to a carrier. Three to five years from when the new trucks start arriving, it will be very good for aftermarket parts. But I have the same concern because all of a sudden you are going to have, and because I know of many fleets that have held on to equipment longer because they just can't get new equipment. So they had a plan, but they're going to get back on to that plan once the vehicles are available. And all of a sudden there's going to be this rapid rise in, in used trucks that are so overpriced, nobody will buy them. And that's, that's going to be an issue. And so the only real option would be to sell those to vocations that maybe could convert them for like oil and gas or logging or something like that. You could take like a Kenworth that's being used over the road right now, and you might be able to convert it into a logging truck or something. But even then, if the the prices really fall on the used equipment, it's going to be impossible to move. And you're going to have to move that used equipment at a loss. That's that's the only the only thing. So on the part side, three to five years from now, we're going to have some record sales, but it, it could really cause some issues. And I've also seen where companies will say, well, Let's not sell the truck. Let's park it. Then we just use it for parts. And so then that does hurt the replacement part side of the business because they've got an extra engine, an extra transmission, extra whatever they need because they've got six trucks sitting in the yard. And I've seen that many times, especially in Alberta or in Texas, where there's a lot of vocation. That happens quite a bit as there's a lot of volatility in those those markets. So from the long term, you know, for for younger members of our audience, they live maybe through the greatest bull run in history, and they're not used to bull and bear markets on average every five years. I'm a little older. I'm used to that. What are we expecting? Are, are we expecting there to be an end to uh, the upswing? And could we see a recession on the other side of, of all of this? Or, or what do you think is, is likely to happen? So that's a great question. I I think the upswing will essentially in spot prices will be over by the end of the second quarter, if not even sooner than that. Um, 
I think January of this year is a blip because of Omicron. I mean, you can you can even see that in DAT's data that the load to truck ratios the first two weeks of January were outlandishly high and they've started really coming down. And so I, I expect that market's going to turn. We've seen contract rates go up so much that the that spot premium just isn't there to encourage carriers to reject freight and start, you know, the spot market free, feeding frenzy that exists. I don't see the land. I don't see the other side of though. Once we peak, it's not. I think going to be as sharp of a drop as we saw in the back half of eighteen um, into nineteen. And the reason for that is because in eighteen we had you know manufacturing output going gangbusters in the U.S. for the first roughly six seven months of the year, and then it started dropping because of poor policies in the form of the tariffs that did not have their intended effect. I don't see demand tapering off that quickly because we have the infrastructure bill. We have the need to restock auto inventories. Record farm prices are going to encourage farmers to invest in new equipment um, and replace old equipment. So I think that on a demand side, we're looking fairly good from the industrial standpoint. So I think the market is, it's not going to be a hard landing, but we're all, we, have to expect I would be beyond stunned if we're entering 2023 and spot prices are above where they are right now. I just I don't see any scenario where that happens. With all of this volatility, I've lived and worked through uh, many ups and downs. I worked through the dot com crash. I worked through the Great Recession in in 08, 09, and I. I actually launched a business in 09 on the back of that and, and exited in 2016. So I took advantage of that. I've lived through the commodity prices dropping so rapidly, and that had a major impact on where I live in Alberta uh, in 2016. And now the pandemic. I do know that there's lots of opportunity in, in these times of volatility. So where do you see the biggest opportunities for, for businesses coming out of uh, this pandemic? Well, looking, so the Census Bureau recently started actually publishing data on business formation statistics. And one of the big things they track is EIN number requests. So essentially tax IDs. And we've seen in every sector almost a doubling of EIN requests, whether it's transportation, warehousing, whether it's retail stores, um, you know, restaurants, which you would never think of in the middle of a pandemic that causes people to not want to eat. But we've seen that. So the one thing that's encouraging to me is there has been record entrepreneurship in the wake of COVID-19. I think a combination of money that was given out combined with many people really reevaluating in their lives what they wanted to do. And for the U.S., this is a wonderful thing because one of the big concerns we've been having is business dynamism, essentially entrepreneurship has been on the wane over the past 30 years. We've seen that in multiple different government data sets. So I really think there's opportunities out there. If you've got a good idea and you've got a market for it, I think there's many, many, many different sectors. I mean, we've seen record new entry in the trucking sector, as an example, which I always find intriguing because I always hear these stories that you know nobody wants to be a truck driver. It's like, well... Nobody may want to drive for a very large carrier, seemingly, but a lot of people want to start new trucking companies because that's the only way to reconcile what we're seeing with all these different data sources. And so I, I think the one the one caution I always have is people tend to get a little too euphoric um, about things. And so 
you know, for anybody who's thinking like, hey, maybe I want to start a new trucking company in 2022 and I want to chase spot freight, my first statement would be that spot market's going to turn. We know it's going to turn. And 2022 is almost assuredly not going to be 2021. That's a big risk. Now, on the other hand, if you know a shipper or a couple shippers, they want guaranteed capacity. You have a good relationship with them and you're willing to basically start a company, but basically, you know, tailor yourself to them. I think that I think it's a wonderful opportunity. Find a problem that you can create a significant change in the economic impact on a, on a consumer or a business. And you've got yourself a business idea that you can run with. Jason, thank you very much for sharing your expertise on this. I, I do understand that a lot of this is data-driven and some of it is also just speculation of what might happen in the future. And as we all know, anything's possible. So I joke about holding you to the crystal ball, but I do appreciate you giving us insights into what's going on. That's been great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin. And we've been speaking with Jason Miller, an associate professor of supply chain management at Michigan State University. To follow Jason Miller on LinkedIn, just go to the show notes of this episode and we will include a link to his LinkedIn profile. Jason, thanks again for being on the show. Again, thanks again for having me. HCA Truck Pride is the heart of the independent parts and service channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride today to find a location near you. Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash HDA Truck Pride and let the heart of the independent service channel take care of your commercial equipment.